You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 263, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Sarah Withy is a polyglot software engineer, public speaker, teacher, and mentor, and hardware and robot tinkerer located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sarah has given incredibly popular conference technical talks and given workshops to teach programming and hardware building to women in tech, as well as to students of all ages. She's mentored middle and high school robotics teams to world championships. She's even helped organize four conferences, been on Google Year and Search Video, and started the viral hashtag, hashtag Speaker Confessions. Sarah is joining me today to talk about Abstractions, a multidisciplinary conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that brings together the full spectrum of individuals involved in modern software development, designers, developers, DevOps, managers, quality assurance, support, and community leaders to teach, learn, and connect. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks. Good to be here. Wonderful. So Sarah, what is your developer origin story? Um, that's a good question. So when I was little, my parents had a Commodore 64. So if you're old, you know what that is. If you're not old, it's probably like a computer with the equivalent power of like a original Nintendo. And um, that, to load a game, my dad taught me, you know, you put the disk in the disk drive and type this one command. And I was kind of curious what the command actually meant because there was a bunch of numbers and symbols in it. And I uh, found the manual and started reading it and was just kind of fascinated that there were a whole bunch of different other commands. And so I'd start typing them in and it just kind of realized I could build them up and make it do like all sorts of things. And it just like fascinated me that I could make this device do kind of whatever I told it to. And it just kind of stayed with me. I just kept an interest even as my computers in my life evolved. I kind of evolved with them and still loved programming. And that's kind of how I became the software engineer I am today. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I love that introduction, you know, early in life. I also had an IBM that my dad brought home. And I used to play Jill of the Jungle and learned how to type. <laughs> and I, it was just absolutely fascinating to me. So I felt very lucky to have that introduction early in life. So Sarah, uh, what is a day in the life for you? Where are you currently working? What what excites you? What do you currently do? Um, so I'm a software engineer with a healthcare data analytics company. And so what I'm on is the data pipeline team. So our team basically, um, we have a bunch of client sites. Our software kind of gathers up a bunch of their data and brings it internal to the uh, company and so we can process it and give people some data analytics on the healthcare records but also kind of help them with um, spotting better ways to provide healthcare and things like that. So my team builds a bunch of microservices that kind of talk to each other and help uh, not just bring in um, a bunch of data make sure it's HIPAA certified and all that but um, or HIPAA protected I guess but uh, we try to make it so it's easy to deploy these out to different client sites. So um, originally it was something, I thought I heard a quote, like 300 person hours to configure a new client. And so I think we were hoping to just make it so they could just drop in our software really quickly and it sort of self-configures itself and just brings it all in. So our team was kind of building this all from scratch. And um, yeah, it's been kind of fascinating to work with the team and the really smart people and really I like that they not just care about the project but kind of care about each other's people too. 
What kind of tools are your go-to? Like what frameworks, what programming languages, like what, what is your wheelhouse? Yeah, I'm a weird case in that I like working in kind of everything. I've sort of jumped around and they even hired me specifically to be a generalist. So they said, you don't have to know anything specific. It's just kind of, if you feel like learning things and picking it up along the way, you'd be fine in this position. And I'm like, cool. So uh, we've been doing a lot of Rust and Scala. And um, for other things, we have some Terraform. We've been doing things in AWS. Um, what else? Um, just kind of all the odds and ends to get our little product going. Um, I've been learning about Travis and AppFair too. So I find the whole idea of being a generalist completely fascinating. As someone who went through a coding boot camp, learned Ruby, fell in love with Ruby, and I pretty much day-to-day -day work with Ruby. I do some things on the, on the side, but Ruby really is my main wheelhouse. As someone who's a generalist, what approaches do you take in order to learn a new framework or language? Do you have a go-to, or does it really depend on what you need to be able to accomplish? Yeah. Um, so for one of our things, we were trying to get it working in Scala, and the framework just was not cooperating at all. So. Uh, one of our teammates rebuilt it in Ruby over the weekend, and then she ended up quitting, I think, a month later. So I ended up inheriting this project because nobody else knew Ruby. Um, so when I had to kind of sit down and go like, okay, I guess I have to figure this out and fix some security problems and last minute changes, uh, I started off, I kind of jumped on, I think it was Code Academy and just did a really quick Ruby run through to try and make sure I knew kind of the basics of it. And then um, as I was looking through it, Rails looked a lot like some of the stuff I had done in PHP at my last job in regards to like the frameworks and how you set up a, you know, CRUD type of web service. So um, that kind of picked up really quickly for me. And kind of one of the cool things is people that learn foreign languages. They say, you know, the first one's super tough, but the second one's a lot easier because you understand how to learn a new language and the language constructs make a lot more sense. And then the third one is even easier and the fourth one is even easier. So at this point, I feel like I've learned eight programming languages or so. And Ruby, you know, it's, it's different than the other ones I've learned, but you know, it has similarities to like Python that I knew and I kind of picked it up fairly quickly. And so I think a lot of it is just trying to compare it to what I already know and look up as much like specific situations that I'm in because we had a security problem and I had no clue how to fix it and um, kind of asking a few people like you know what's this one little part mean what's that part mean and sort of just kind of came together in my mind so I guess if you were to kind of go in the generalist direction I would just say take anything you find interesting and keep working with it just keep learning, try to fill your brain with all sorts of cool stuff, because the more breath you can kind of learn about, the easier I think new things make more sense when you learn them. Do you tend to learn languages better when you have something at stake? So for in this case, you had a security issue with a Ruby application that you were maintaining at work. Did that kind of force you to get into the language quicker? Or do you find that side projects help you get onboarded onto a language in a in an easier way? Um, I would probably rather learn with a side project. Um, in this case, um, I think we had two months to kind of get this done. And so there was a bit more pressure to 
there's this trade-off of how much do I try to stack overflow literally everything just to get it fixed and out the door without maybe not always knowing exactly what I was doing versus do I take the time to try and learn all of it better so I knew the code I was generating might be a little bit more, I guess, sturdy maybe would be the word I'm looking for. Uh, you know, and so I kind of tried to do a little of both. Like I tried to make sure I knew enough tutorials to have a good better idea of what was going on, but also kind of had to at some point just go like, eh, there's only so much I can learn. I have to kind of brute force some of this. And we were pretty good at trying to track tech debt too. So we knew to get a few things out the door faster, we can have to sacrifice a little bit of quality, but we were documenting those as tickets and marking them as tech debt and saying like, once this is out the door, we knew we were going to go back and try to make this better. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's pivot a bit. I'd love to hear more about your experience with speaking. What encouraged you to start applying? So when I was still a student in college, I ended up getting asked to teach a C++ lab and um, did that for a couple years. And then one of the adjuncts dropped out of the lecture at the very last minute. And they'd said, well, even though you're an undergrad, we know you knew all the material from teaching the lab for so long. Would you want to teach the lecture? And I kind of freaked out at first because <laughs> I very much was not a public speaker by any means. And like, oh, crap, can I do this? Like, I don't know the material. But, you know, I eventually realized, like, I do. And it was kind of weird at first to get into teaching like that. But it kind of, once I got the vibe of it and once I kind of realized, you know, they're looking to me as a person who knows everything, but maybe doesn't know everything, you know, like if I don't know something, that's totally fine and could look it up and get back to them later if I needed to, or, um, you know, just kind of, you, you don't ever expect somebody to be absolutely perfect, just like reasonably good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it felt a little better. And a friend of mine said, so I was living in the Midwest at the time and um, a friend told me that there was this conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they really, really, really needed women speakers because they had some bad publicity the year before. And so they were trying to reach out everywhere they possibly could. And they said, Sarah, you're teaching all these classes. Maybe you should give a conference talk. And of course, I kind of like, I don't have the foggiest idea what to talk on. I don't know how to give a conference talk. I don't know anything. Um, and I was kind of looking through Twitter one day and saw a whole bunch of posts on the Raspberry Pi and kind of from several years of being on a robotics team and kind of thought like, maybe I could teach people how to build household projects with Raspberry Pi. And so this kind of became a just a vague idea, like, okay, I'll propose this as a talk idea. I don't know, whatever. And it got accepted there. A friend of mine said I should propose it to a local conference and I did and it got accepted there. And so I sort of ended up with this talk that it got accepted like four or five places before I had even written it because I listened to my friends and I probably shouldn't have, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but um, it worked out really well. It was actually a very popular talk in a lot of places, including one conference that said, um, like the room was so packed with the line out the door, they asked me if I would give it again the next day to try and clear some of the people out. It was really kind of unbelievable, but that's kind of a, how I sort of got into it. it was a bit of peer pressure, I guess. And once I, did it and kind of realized like this is similar to teaching. I love sharing my experiences. I love sharing kind of what I learn. And I absolutely love, 
you know, in cartoons when they have a good idea and the light bulb shows up above their head and it turns on, like you can see that in people's faces when you touch, teach them something new and they, it clicks and they get it. And I absolutely love seeing that on people that come to my classes, workshops, conference talks, whatever. And that's kind of what keeps me going with that. I love that strategy. I often will apply with talks where I have about 75% of the knowledge and I will, um, yeah, I will apply with a talk that I would be excited to attend and, you know, it's going to become from like my personal experience, but once that talk gets accepted, it really inspires me to dig even further into the topic. So when I step onto that stage, I really feel like I'm an authority on that topic by that point. But having that talk is something that is just hanging there and I know that I need to hit it definitely fuels that fire to make sure that I'm well researched on everything that I'm doing. Yeah. And I've heard a few people say, you know, if there's something you want to learn, a conference talk's a good way to do it because all of a sudden you have to have a deadline. You have to not only just know it, but know it in a way to tell other people how to learn it. That's and great. that almost reiterates it in a way that's almost stronger than if you just learned it yourself. Agreed. So as someone who's given a lot of conference talks, and if our listeners can take away basically one bit of advice of uh, speaking today from you, what would it be? I know public speaking is one of those, I've either heard it's like the absolute worst fear, like along with death. <laughs> like those are the two <laughs> things that people fear the most. Um, one thing I want to say is, I think we have all these stigmas of everybody's going to notice every time I say um or like or things like that or you know they're just gonna look at me and say like oh they're an idiot on stage or whatever and really the audience is there for you they want to learn they want to see you succeed so I would say you know keep in mind that even if you are nervous even if you've not given a talk before um really it does they're you know, it, they're not there to ridicule you. They, they come to your session because they want to learn what you're going to teach. So they are going to assume positive intentions by default. I love that. So let's dig into abstractions. Can you give us a pitch on why our listeners should apply to speak and or attend the conference? Yeah. So one of the things, I, I didn't make it to the first abstractions, but um, I'm one of the director of programming for this one. And one of the things I really love about abstractions as we've been trying to organize it is it's almost everything we expect in a software conference kind of twisted around and put on its head. So we try to do things really differently than other people, or we try to do um, take what's typical and change it, or take what we generally do and don't do it, or, you know, just kind of change things around a bit. So I like that it's thought through a lot differently, that we're trying to not make it your average tech conference. So one of the things I really love about it is it's going to be, you know, it's going to be packed full of awesome tech like we're used to, but, you know, we have things like therapy dogs and, um, you know, we have a whole line of things called distractions, which are kind of like an alternate track of things like yoga and video games and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a twist on your typical tech conference while still being like all the good material that you really love. And so I think it would be cool to just attend for those reasons alone, but definitely speaking at this conference, I think would, you know, kind of a different honor than other conferences. 
So I went the first year. I'm very lucky in the fact that I could literally walk from the conference from where I work uh, downtown. (laughs) And so me and my team all went together and I was just blown away because, you know, we typically spend a decent amount of money traveling to different conferences for very niche topics like RailsConf or to an API conference, just very specific topics. But we went to abstractions and it is for everyone. I mean, there are topics for everyone and it was just amazing the the speakers that they brought in, but also seeing these first time speakers and getting their opportunity to to get their names out there. There was multiple tracks. There was too much to choose from really. Like there's just always something really interesting going on. And yes, I agree the distractions um, twist to it. I have a chocolate lab, so the therapy dogs especially spoke to me. But a lot of developers have not made their way to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and this really gave a wonderful reason for people to come in. And I just remember how many people I spoke with who were just absolutely amazed at how beautiful the city is, how great the food and coffee was. So I'm excited because Abstractions 2 is just going to be bigger and better, and it's going to bring in this type of developer who's interested in kind of looking outside of what they typically do and really have a good reason and a good place to be able to dive into new and interesting topics. So it's almost like fun, but there's work in it too. So <laughs> work related, but still yes, fun. yes, you can sell it to your boss as work, but trust me, you will have fun. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely what we want. We we don't want another stodgy. Oh look, we're talking more JavaScript frameworks, but you know, and one of the, you you had a good point too that we try to really cater to everybody, not just developers, but kind of anybody involved in the software process, and not just experienced developers, but we want the people that are just starting out in the industry as well as the people that have been there 20 years. We really like the wide variety that we get. So how did you get involved in organizing abstractions this year? So can you tell us a little more about your role? Yeah. Um, I met Justin. He's kind of the head person, Justin Reese. I met him at Strange Loop like two years ago in St. Louis, and it was totally random. We had uh, me and a friend of mine had posted on Twitter that we were going to lunch and wanted to see if anybody else wanted to go. And this guy had come along and I finally met him and learned after a little while that he was the person that had done abstractions, which I had heard about from a few other friends. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm said, I'm eating lunch with a person who did the first abstractions. And um, so that was kind of cool. And we kind of kept in touch over the couple of years. But then I moved to Pittsburgh. And immediately he was just like, get involved. Come on. We, we got a lot of stuff we want to do. Um, you know, we'd love to have you around. So that's how I ended up getting involved in Code Supply, the group that sort of puts it on. And when um, Artifacts was around, that was the first conference I had attended while I lived here in Pittsburgh. Um, it was mental health and tech focused. And I helped out with that. And I ended up emceeing that as well. But um, I knew Abstractions was next, and it just kind of, from helping out with them and knowing they were a pretty good group of people, I said, like, I need to help out with Abstractions. This is way too cool of a conference idea to just not be involved in it. So um, we had all kind of met together and just kind of decided on positions, and I really like planning out the logistics of things. So the director of programming really just kind of made sense, I think. So figuring out the CFP and kind of planning out a schedule, planning out all the kind of individual parts that will become the program for this conference. 
With how much is going on, I imagine that is not going to be a small task. So I give you a lot of props on that. I'm excited to see what you come up with. It was pretty quiet at first, but now we've launched our CFP. We're about ready to launch tickets. We were testing it yesterday. Um, You know, we're about ready to announce some of our big speakers. So, you know, it's definitely gearing up to be busy season. But I'm kind of looking forward to it. I really, really want to see what turns out. Before we dig into our CFP process, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Blockstack. There is a better version of the internet, and it's already here. It's a decentralized one, free from data breaches and privacy abuses, where you own your identity and data. Blockstack is an open computing protocol that makes it easy for developers to build applications that guarantee their users' digital rights. Blockstack provides a stack of important layers developers can use so that people who use their apps truly own their data, own their identity, and even their content and connections. These decentralized applications are more secure than traditional options, and with Blockstack, you make no sacrifices on performance or scalability. Blockstack is open source, free, and the Blockstack community has built libraries to make things easy for the Ruby community to get started. Ruby developers can get started in about 45 minutes with the Zero to DAP tutorial, which will take you through building your first decentralized application and give you a good feel for the possibilities and benefits of the protocol. Developers can even get paid to build better applications using Blockstack via the App Mining Program, which pays out $100,000 a month directly to developers. The Blockstack ecosystem is hard at work providing better, safer, user-owned apps to people that need them more than ever. Learn more and get started at blockstack.org slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Blockstack for sponsoring the Ruby on Rails podcast. All right, Sarah, back to you. What type of content is the attractions team looking for and how should they apply? Um, We're kind of looking for a little bit of everything. Um, On our CFP page, which is abstractions.io slash CFP, we kind of put a huge variety of talks and it was us sitting down saying like, what would we want to see at a conference? What would we want to see at abstractions? Um, Yeah. So we just kind of threw out a whole bunch of different topic ideas. We have literally like a whole page full of them. Um, But we really want to see not just dives into technical things, but also um, what makes your team a really good successful team? What makes, um, how do you deal with mental health problems in tech? How do you, um, how have you set up your computer to be a better developer? How have you um, tried to test your software to make sure it's more stable? I don't know, just kind of a little bit of everything. We want to see not just like, oh, our company works in XYZ framework, so we give a talk on XYZ, but just kind of like everything. (laughs) Um, We love the idea that software isn't just a bunch of code monkeys, but really it's a whole, it's a whole process. It's a whole ordeal, you know? Um, so we really want to be able to cover as much of everything as possible. Um, do you think this is a good conference for first time speakers? Oh yeah. We, one of the reasons I wanted to be director of programming was I wanted to make sure we had a really diverse lineup of speakers. We had a diverse lineup of, um, people that have maybe done a billion conferences and people that have maybe never done a conference before at all. Um, Kind of we've taken this idea of twisting the tech conference on its side. Um, I I love the idea that maybe nobody has been to a conference before and they want to give their first conference talk at abstractions. 
So we've provided ways to try and even appeal to new speakers. So we have a bunch of open mentoring sessions, which are literally just a Zoom phone call that you can come on, just ask questions. We've had one already and we had probably eight people come on and not just did they get their questions answered, but everybody else said it was really good to hear their questions and answers. So everybody got a lot out of it, even, you know, past just their own um, questions that they asked us. And we have a couple more of those going on. And we're also offering newer speakers one-on-one -on -one mentoring. So if they need help kind of practice speaking or building out slides from what they're working on or everything like that, um, we're more than happy to try and offer some assistance and maybe connect you with um, some more experienced speakers to help you with that process. Well, I can personally tell you that I know someone who is a first-time speaker who just applied last night, and it's been really helpful that Abstractions has been tweeting out prompts each day of talks that they want to speak about because he wasn't sure if his talk really fit what Abstractions was looking for, but the tweet today was pretty much exactly uh, <laughs> his talk pretty much fulfilled that prompt. So whether or not he gets in or not, it was just kind of a nice little nudge that, you know, I'm sure his CFP is still appreciated. And either way, you know, it's it's just great to get as many as many new speakers out there as possible, just because it, we can all fall into that trap where we just hear the same voices over and over again. And I personally feel abstractions is a good way to bring new spe speakers into the scene. Yeah. And uh, we did a global diversity CFP day in Pittsburgh uh, last weekend. And one of the articles I had found um, from a women to tech Slack I was on. Um, it's by Lucy Bain, and she writes this whole article on how to come up with conference stocks. And she has 12 questions on there on how to kind of get inspired by new ideas. And a lot of these questions, Justin was just kind of like, we should tweet those out. So we've been trying to do that um, as well. But I kind of like the idea that even if people submit to abstractions and they don't make it in, maybe we've helped them build out a cool enough talk that they can take it somewhere else. And maybe for abstractions three, whenever that will be. That's a really good point because you can always go to a local meetup group and kind of vet some of these talks too. Local meetup groups are always looking for new content. So definitely approach your local for that. Um, awesome. And we'll, we'll definitely link up in the show notes those 12 questions so that our listeners can check those out. Um, Sarah, so how can our listeners follow what you are up to and what Abstractions is up to? Yeah, I am Geeky Girl Sarah pretty much everywhere on the internet. I'm, I'm pretty involved on Twitter, so definitely a good way to reach out to me is that. I try to make sure I, you know, not just post things on Twitter, but I try to communicate with it. So I definitely would love to answer questions about the speaking process or CFPs or anything on there. Um, AbstractionsCon is our Twitter handle for... Um, the conference. You're welcome to tweet out there and one of the organizers can answer questions about that. Um, programming at abstractions.io is kind of the email for anything involved in the program and the CFP process. So you can also email us. I will, I try to check it at least once a day to make sure um, we get all the questions answered pretty promptly. So our CFP is open until about the end of March, what, March 24th? So still plenty of time um, to kind of submit something and still plenty of time to get some questions answered too, if you have those. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. Listeners, be sure to check out Abstractions and submit your CFP before the deadline. Links are all in the show notes. Talk to you next week.